Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week, we are talking about pregnancy and sexual violence. My name is Emily Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. With me today, I have Margot Logan. Margot uses she, her pronouns and has been a licensed clinical social worker for over 35 years. She has extensive experience working with individuals and families, including those with chronic medical and or mental health issues, teen parents, and those involved in the child welfare system. And she also has over 20 years of experience in the adoption field, writing home studies, working with birth and adoptive parents and conceptualizing and facilitating a monthly adoptive parent support group. In 2004, Mrs. Logan established Forever Families Adoption Services, which we are going to talk a little bit more about shortly. And in 2009, Mrs. Logan established a Better Life Counseling Services. So Margo, thank you so, so much for being here today. We're really excited to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And I also have joining us Allie Stone. So Allie uses she, her pronouns, is originally from South Florida, and is a recent graduate earning her master's degree in marriage, couples, and family therapy from the University of Central Florida in Orlando. So congratulations, Allie. And Allie has a passion for mental health counseling and works with all age groups, children, adolescents, and adults. So she specializes in relational issues, self-esteem, anxiety, depression, and personality disorder. So Allie, thank you as well for joining us on the podcast. We're excited to have you. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this really important discussion. So as mentioned today, we have, again, two amazing mental health professionals here to talk about the work that they do and the adoption services that they provide. So on the podcast, we've talked about the many reactions and effects sexual assault can have on survivors. So those effects can, of course, be emotional, psychological, but they can also be physical. And one such effect that is not often talked about is pregnancy. This happens more than many people realize, I think. Um, According to the CDC, almost 3 million women in the U.S. have had a pregnancy as a result to sexual violence during their lifetime. 
So the purpose of this podcast is to talk specifically about the many options available to expecting mothers, including those survivors, so they can choose what is best for them. So of course, the VSC, just want to you know point out first, can provide survivors who call our helpline for a forensic exam, for example, Plan B and things like that. And today, we will be talking about the services Forever Families provides, what the adoption process can look like and its different forms, the pressures mothers may face when choosing what is best for them, the rights survivors who our mothers have, and ways we can support survivors and mothers. So with that, to start off, I'd love to hear from you, Margo, if you can tell me a little bit about Forever Families Adoption Services and how you found this work and a little bit about the origin story. Okay, well, thank you for asking. I originally started out in Illinois. I was, I am an adoptive mom. My husband and I have four children who we adopted through the foster care system in addition to my two biological children. And I moved into this neighborhood and across the street from me was another social worker who said, I see you have adopted kids. You know, the lady behind me has an adoption agency. As it turns out, my daughter and her daughter were friends and um, this incredible woman, Margaret Fleming, brought her daughter to my daughter's birthday party a couple of weeks later and we started talking. And she is amazing. She's kind of a pioneer in the adoption field. She was one of the first people who did transracial adoption in the Chicago area, as well as one of the first people to work with the GLBTQ community and place children with them. So I began my career in adoption, starting doing home studies for Adoption Link, which was her agency. And they later expanded into international adoption home studies. So I was the first person they trained for that. And I worked for them for a number of years, moved to Florida in June of 2003. And she, Margaret and her family came down to Disney that following December and she came over to visit and said, you know, you should start your own agency. And I'm like, yeah, right, okay, sure. And four months later on my sister's birthday, April 18th, 2004, Forever Families was officially licensed. And we've been going from there. I love that, that is such a great story. I I totally relate to that too, where someone says, hey, you should do this thing. You're like, yeah, that's definitely gonna happen. And then you see that it, it can absolutely happen. So I really appreciate you kind of sharing that and also sharing your personal story of being an adoptive mom yourself. Um, What are the kind of people that you help? What is your mission? Our mission is to provide loving homes for babies and along the way provide support and encouragement to our birth moms and to our adoptive families. We literally hold our birth mom's hands when they're giving birth if they want us there. That's incredible. That's amazing. I can see why. And we'll talk a little bit about like the pressures and all the things that um, women can face and mothers can face. Um, But I can see that the services that you provide are super, super key. So can you talk a little bit about what those services are that Forever Families provides? We provide, first of all, counseling. And I'd like Allie to kind of piggyback off of that and talk about the amazing work she just did with our most recent birth mom. Oh, thank you. We um, got one of our birth moms from this year in our office in the end of January 2021. And, you know, 
I didn't know what to expect, but I was definitely committed to providing the best therapy services that I could provide for her. Um, and it's amazing because nine months later, she has her, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy and we matched him with his forever family and that he lives with them now. And the birth mom is doing amazing. I see her still for therapy services. Um, and, you know, she has just grown and honestly made so much progress. It's like a 180, total 180. Um, and I keep telling her how proud of herself she should be because me and Margot are very proud of her. It's, it's amazing how just in nine months, you can have a whole baby born, but then also an, an adult is like reborn. And um, it's just, it's amazing. You know, we, one of the things that Margot told me early on when I started working with her is that we really want to leave our birth moms better than how they found us. And I can assure you and the audience that it will always be that way for every single birth mom that comes through our doors. And um, we, we genuinely care about their well-being. So it's a, it's a pleasure to work with them. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that, Allie. I, I can totally see that your services seem very individualized, like no two cases are probably the same, I assume. And then that's where that where you all come in. So some of the services it sounds like you provide are like counseling and things like that. But do, do you kind of help with like the decision making process and what works for them and things like that? We do. We help them to sit down and think for themselves. We never want to pressure a birth mom into making a decision one way or the other. So we help them sort out. In fact, I've spent hours with prospective birth moms going over, do you have a family member who could help you? Is there a way you could get some financial assistance so you're able to parent this child? I actually, I started out in my home using my home office and I actually had a woman show up at my door one evening who had a two-year-old and her original plan had been to place him for adoption. She was in California at the time and the California agency told her, take him home for six months and let him bond with you and that'll make the adoption easier, which goes against everything anybody with any knowledge of adoption would tell her to do. So she kept the child with her, needless to say, they bonded and she decided to parent him and then here we were with a two-year-old and she had some mental health issues that she hadn't gotten treated and was just at her wit's end, not knowing what to do with the child. So I was very blessed that she came to me. We sat down in my dining room. We talked, we looked up psychiatrists that accepted her insurance. And I told her once she was on the proper medication, if she still wanted to place, we'd be happy to help her place the child in an open adoption, but that I thought that she would be able to parent him once her mental health was stable. And we also brainstormed about who in her family could be of assistance to her. She had some relatives, it turned out, who were willing to help her parent the child while she got herself together. And it worked out that she was able to raise her child. That's incredible. It, it really sounds like you do like case management, really. You like sit down with these individuals and see like, what are their goals? And then how can we fulfill those? What are the resources available and then connecting and 
and being that support for them, whatever that looks like. That's amazing. And you used a lot of different terms. I think it would be a good time now to kind of talk about and define those terms that are really important for this conversation. So to start off, what exactly is an adoption plan? An adoption plan is the plan that the birth mom and birth dad, if he's involved, come up with along with their social worker about how they want the adoption to look. Do, you know, what sort of family do they want for their child? Do they have any preference on the family's race or religion or whether they have other children, whether they want contact before they place, whether they want contact after placement, those kinds of things are what go into an adoption plan. Okay, got it. And earlier on, you said open and closed and things like that. So how would, what is an open adoption and a closed adoption? And is there like a hybrid ever? An open adoption does go along a spectrum. So open adoption could be as simple as birth mom gets pictures of the child and letters at certain intervals throughout the child's life through the adoption agency. Or it could be that they meet. They, the birth parents might want a visit every year or they might want to be able to do FaceTime with the child and the adoptive parents. So it takes many different forms. And a closed adoption would be very private. We don't do too many of those anymore unless there's a compelling reason, like maybe a biological mom with severe mental illness where it would be detrimental for the child to have contact with the biological mom. But even in those instances, I want to be sure that they get pictures and letters because I think it's really important that they know how their child is doing. I know I had one mom come to me and said, you know, I don't want to sound like a horrible person, but I, this is just really difficult for me. You pick the family. I don't want to know anything about them. I trust you to pick a good family. And I said, look, just keep, keep your options open. Because it was, it was a really sweet young couple who already had a child and just weren't prepared to have a second child. But I, I said, you know, keep your options open. And I found a family for them who I knew would be happy to do visits if they changed their mind later on. Fast forward to four years later and the families get together. Birth mom and dad have since had another child. So all three siblings get to hang out. It's like the most amazing relationship you could imagine. I love that. It feels like um, kind of like this opening up of the definition of what a family is, right? And kind of being like it can be, it could look a lot of different ways. Um, going off of that, can someone change their mind? Like maybe they want an open adoption and then maybe they decide, you know what, this isn't the best for me. So they change it to a closed. How does that look? They definitely can change their mind. Um, we are a hundred percent supportive through all of their decision-making. The one birth mom that I was able to work with this year, um, we started out and we didn't really know you know, when we're sitting down making the adoption plan at the time, she didn't know what was going to be best for her. And it kind of just flows organically through the process. Sometimes, you know, you just have to talk a lot of things out and we like to give our birth moms choices and always have options ready for them. Um, we like to provide more than um, one family to show them, um, usually two to three. 
Um, and then we go from there and really just see what feels organic to the birth mom. If she does want to change her mind later on, totally fine. And um, Margo and I really just do our best to support all of the decision-making as long as it's for the, the best of the child, as well as the birth mom. And um, so far, honestly, uh, just this year, we've had really good amazing, I should say amazing success with an open adoption, uh, FaceTime visits, Zoom calls, pictures back and forth, and so far, so good. So definitely hoping to have more of those in the future. That's amazing. And I, when we were planning this podcast, you all mentioned a term semi-open adoption. So what does that look like? As far as changing the mind about open versus closed, I always make sure my adoptive families are prepared that birth mom might want to open up more, but I would not work with a family that would close the adoption once it's finalized. It's not fair to promise a birth mom that she's going to get pictures and letters and then suddenly say, nope, we changed our minds. So I'm very selective about adoptive families I will work with and make sure that I have like their commitment to always honoring requests for pictures and letters because I do have some families that have closed adoptions where they do not communicate with the birth families but birth both cases that I'm thinking of it's birth grandma who will contact me and say hey can I have some pictures of the child and without hesitation the adoptive families send me pictures to send to grandma that's a really important point I'm really glad you brought that up because there's like There's a lot of different players when it comes to an adoption plan here. So just making sure that everyone's expectations are here and then also honoring people's choices and making sure that the the decisions are, you know, what they want and then how you can support that. So that's that's amazing. Um, And you also brought up like semi-open. So what does a semi-open adoption look like? A semi-open adoption would be something like pictures and letters throughout the years through the agency so that um, the child can get some information about birth family and the um, birth family can see how the child is doing, but no visits, no like direct contact, no phone calls, things like that. Perfect. Yeah, that, that makes um, a lot of sense. It sounds like there's just not like that direct communication, but maybe like the third party kind of involved, if that makes sense. Yeah, I just like to highlight that just so that people know kind of the different options and how adoption can look like. Um, we went over, I think, birth mom a lot. Um, I don't know if you want to add to that definition, but I think that we kind of covered it. Um, but as far as foster care, um, what exactly is foster care? Foster care differs because it's when the child is removed from the biological parents against their will, where um, the, they've been, the child's been abused or neglected or is felt to be in harm's way by virtue of domestic violence in the home or something along those lines. And that in that case, the biological parent is given what's called a case plan and has the opportunity to regain um, custody of the child. With a private adoption, the birth parents have chosen to place the child in a family and it's once they've signed those consents, it's final. There's no going back. So 
the child is in a stable home where they're not going to be moved around in foster care you always run the risk a foster parent might close their license or something might happen where the child is moved around a great deal in a private adoption it's just strictly birth mom and or and dad sometimes have decided what's best for their child is to be adopted and they're uh, they directly choose to place them directly into an adoptive home and the other the other thing is that a child in foster care if it gets to the point where the state is going to terminate parental rights the parent can choose rather than having the state terminate their rights and the child be adopted in a closed adoption they can choose to come to us and do what's called a dcf intervention where our attorney intervenes in the case and the adopted the i'm sorry the birth parents can choose the adoptive parents once again if it's like a severe abuse or neglect situation we're probably not going to recommend an open adoption but at least the birth parent can know the type of family that the child's with and we can facilitate getting them some pictures some letters throughout the years so they know how their child is doing that makes a lot of sense i really appreciate you kind of defining all those really important um terms here and i think that what's important is kind of knowing the difference between foster care and an adoption plan that they're very different um situations are there any other terms that you wanted to kind of talk about one term is where they talk about a mom giving up her baby or putting up her baby for adoption and giving up kind of implies she just gave up putting up for adoption came from the um, historical times where people would actually put their children up on the railroad platforms to be put on orphan trains to be taken out west to be adopted. So those are terms we don't like to use. We like to use make an adoption plan. And we also don't like real mom because you're, we have a biological mom, we have an adoptive mom, and they're both real moms. You know, I've had people ask me, you know, does he ever see his real mom? I'm like, well, you know, I'm a real mom. I, mm -hmm. I, I feed him. I changed his diaper when he was a baby. I support him. I take him to his T-ball. You know, we're, we're all valid real moms. So that term we don't like to use. I really appreciate it. You said that. That is absolutely true. Um, and I think that I really appreciate you also kind of going into the history of those terms too and why that we don't use those anymore. Um, so placing versus putting up or giving away. Um, and then, yeah, uh, all moms are real moms and valid, right? So absolutely. And I also want to thank you again for sharing like all the different amazing services that Forever Families provides. With that, um, and you kind of talked a little bit about this first misconception, but what are some other common misconceptions surrounding the work that you do that you'd like to address? Um, I know when we were planning this podcast, there was this idea that my child will hate me if I place them with an adoptive family. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. I actually want to jump in on that one. I have an adult client who I work with. I see her every week and um, she was adopted when she was a child and it has come up in therapy, you know, um, how that has affected her throughout her life. 
And she said that she is very grateful and just so blessed to have been adopted by the family that she that she was because she realized that her life could have been completely different had she not been adopted by this family. And she recognizes that, you know, that outcome could have been honestly detrimental, dangerous, or, you know, unsuccessful. And so it is amazing that adult children, I mean, we're all adult children, everybody has an inner child inside of them. But as we end up being adults, and we look back at our lives as children, the ones, you know, just especially my one client who is adopted, she is so grateful for that opportunity. And it doesn't have, she has no ill will towards her birth parents. She has no, you know, um, negative feelings. And it's really amazing to hear firsthand how someone who, you know, she was actually in foster care for a very brief amount of time before being adopted officially. And she said it really did change her life for the better. So I think that's something that we can look forward to and something to give birth moms hope that, you know, it is a big decision and they're really brave for making it. And, you know, it's the most unselfish decision that they can make for their child. And you're, you know, at the end of the day, if you're coming to us or another adoption agency, I would hope, you know, others are going to treat the birth moms and the kids the way that we do and make sure that you know, wherever these children end up, it's, it is their forever family and they're safe, they're stable. And, you know, the birth moms don't have to worry about how they're doing. Of course, moms worry, it's natural, but you know that they're in a safe home, fed every day, going to school, et cetera. So. Yeah. And being an integral person and helping in that decision-making process. I appreciate you use the word brave. Absolutely. I think that this is a huge, huge decision. And it's so nice that there's agencies out there and organizations like you all that can help them make that choice. And I love that you are able to address that myth too. Um, And thanks for sharing that story. Um, I think that we talked a little bit about this too, like this myth that you cannot love a child if they're not biologically yours. Or I think there can be a myth that you cannot love your adopted child as much as your biological children. So I didn't know if you had any ways you'd like to address that myth. I can speak to that from personal experience because I have two biological children and four adopted children. And I can honestly say, I love them all equally. My biological kids will joke that I love the adopted kids more, but it's true. Like once, once you place that baby in your, that baby in your arms, that's your child. In fact, um, my one of my sons was in a shelter for babies before we got him, and we had they made me go visit with him to make sure I wanted him. I'm like, why are you even wasting my time? Of course I want him, but I went to see him, and I had to visit with him and then leave while they worked out some of the details of the placement because it was a foster. We fostered to adopt. And so I had to leave him there for two days. And it was just like leaving a baby I had given birth to at the hospital and going home. It was, that was my baby. You know, the minute I laid eyes on him, that was my baby. And um, 
he, we actually ended up adopting his biological brother as well when the biological mom got pregnant again and that baby got removed. And um, that child is more like me than any of my other kids. It's, it's amazing. He's got the attitude I had as a teenager. He's got the smart mouth I had as a teenager. And um, his, he is married with a daughter and the daughter looks like my family. A friend of mine who knows that my son is adopted said that she looks like me around the eyes. So you really, they're, your, your kids are your kids, period. However you get them. Mm-hmm. I love that. That is so, such an amazing story. Thanks for sharing that, Margo. Um, definitely. And I, there was another myth that we wanted to talk about too, which is about um, this idea that you may not be able to place a child after birth. I'm actually working on the placement of a baby that's already been born at the moment. If you decide that you want to parent your baby and then get home and for whatever reason realize that it's just something you cannot do, there's no judgment. There's no shame in that. You know, you're doing an extremely brave thing and you're doing what's best for your child. And there's no way anybody should ever knock somebody for doing what's best for their child, especially since they're probably breaking their own heart doing it. We can place a child of any age for whatever reason birth mom might have where she's decided that she can no longer parent this child. I appreciate that. I think that again, it's just nice to know that people always have options and you should never feel stuck for whatever choice that works best for you. Um, Absolutely. And again, just really happy that you all exist so that you can help people with those decisions. Thank you. We also, in a situation like that, would talk to mom first and see if she has some other options. You know, are, do you really want to place this child or are you just going through a rough patch right now? And our concern is mm-hmm. that we do what's best for mom and baby, regardless of our bottom line, regardless of the fact that, you know, we're in the adoption. It, it's a business, but to us, it's our heart. It's not just mm-hmm. a business. It's our heart. And we want to do what's best for the mom and best for the child. And we don't want mom to have any regrets. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I think that there was also like a myth too, that you may not be able to take like necessary medications, for example, mental health during pregnancy. Um, our birth mom that we had definitely um, was in need of special mental health medication, which for the record is nothing to be ashamed about. You'd be surprised. Most people are on medication and it just, you know, is what your brain chemistry needs, you know? And, um, one of the concerns was being able to take that medication, uh, while pregnant. And so number one, always consult your doctor for sure. Like, no question, doctor first, you know, make sure that you have that conversation with them. And then after that, if the doctor, you know, gives you that okay, the the birth mom has an opportunity to, if they're working with us already, we do a little research, see what, you know, options medication wise would be acceptable for their term of pregnancy and your their health and everything, what would be okay for the baby. And, um, we did 
definitely are supportive of birth moms taking their medication because um, not only is it, you know, to make them better and feel better, but, you know, they're carrying a child and um, it can be very emotional for them, very uh, intense nine to 10 months for, for women. So, you know, we don't want to take away anything that would help them during that process. So if they have an opportunity to take their medicine and feel better and it doesn't hurt the baby at all, then they should absolutely do that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, thank you for answering that, Allie. Absolutely. I also had just like a, another question before we kind of move forward. Um, here. Are there actually more children waiting to be adopted than families able to be adopted? To adopt, I should say. In the foster care system, there are. In the foster care system, there are multiple children who either have mental health issues, medical issues, are part of a sibling group, or are older who are waiting a long time, and there aren't enough families to adopt those children. As far as newborn infants, there's more um, adopted parents waiting than there are babies being born. Okay, got it. I just wanted to make sure if there were any like misconceptions on that. Just was curious about those numbers. So we talked a lot about the decision making process. And I wanted to kind of lean in what those pressures are that mothers go through when trying to make the right decision for themselves. And and you talked a little bit about how you help empower them as well. So I wanted to just kind of lean in. What are some of those pressures that you've heard from your clients um, or that you think that society puts on mothers when it comes to deciding? First of all, there's a lot of times family members who don't agree with their decision, who say, you know, you can't give your baby away. You can't, you know, why are you doing this? And there's always people who will offer to help. But then when you're in the trenches, they they don't want to help. So a lot of women are pressured to keep the baby. A lot of cultures don't believe in adoption, don't believe in placing outside of a family. And your own family might not be the best option for the baby. I mean, can you imagine going to Thanksgiving dinner and there's Aunt Mommy or having to, or having coming from a dysfunctional family, but they're determined they're gonna keep this baby in the family. And so there's those pressures there's pressure sometimes from bio dad who even if he's not been part of it or even if he's been abusive to bio mom all of a sudden that's his kid and he doesn't want that kid to be adopted and i mean biological fathers do have rights but they don't have the right to manipulate the mom they don't have the right to abuse the mom they don't have the right to not support the mom through the pregnancy and then turn around and say, you know, you need to keep this baby when the adoptive parents and this agency have been supporting the mom the whole time and the dad's been ghost until the baby's born. So I think they get pressured from all sides. And I think a lot of moms pressure themselves. You know, why can't I do this? What's wrong with me that I don't want to raise this baby? You know, I think there's a lot of pressure to, you know, you made your bed now lie in it, which is you know, first of all, she'd get pregnant by herself. And second, and second of all, just because you got pregnant does not mean that you should be forced to raise a baby. 
if you're not prepared. It's not fair to you or the baby. I would hate for a mom to ever feel like she's doing something wrong by considering placing her child in a loving home who can provide things that she might not be able to emotionally or financially at the time provide for that child. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of, I was thinking of like societal pressures too, but I, I didn't even think of like the really heavy pressures from family that can be really overwhelming. So what would you say to uh, an expecting mother who's feeling all these pressures, maybe from really close family members who are saying like, hey, I think you should make this decision, but the mother is really not sure. Um, I honestly would say that they need to really listen to their heart on this one. You know, everybody's going to have an opinion. Everybody's going to think they know best. But at the end of the day, you know, this birth mother, it's her body, it's her child, it's her choice. And we respect that. And, you know, I wish I could say that all family members of birth moms respected that as well. But like Margot said previously, you know, it's not always like that. And a lot of these family members offer to help in, in the pregnancy stage. And then the baby comes and they're nowhere to be found. You know, everybody gets busy in their own lives. And, you know, these poor birth mothers are left to fend for themselves. And um, it's just, it's definitely, you know, something that we, we see. And um, I think it's really important for birth moms to just trust their heart, their instinct on it, and do what works for them and what works for the baby. Nobody else's opinion matters, um, especially since it's not their life. And so we, we, we stand by birth moms and their decision-making. Love that. Yeah, I definitely, I, when we talk about survivors of sexual violence here at the VSC, we talk about how survivors are the experts in their healing. And so I think it's similar to this too. Birth mothers are experts in what is right for them and the child. Um, and it's just great that we're able to kind of facilitate and empower that decision-making process of these are your options. Um, whatever decision you make is not right or wrong. It's just the decision that works best. Um, and we're here to help support you. I love that. Um, so we talked a little bit about like kind of misconceptions and kind of fears of, and pressures that mothers may face, but what are some of those common anxieties that you come across with your clients and, and birth moms? So many. Margot definitely should start. They're concerned about where their baby is going. And um, that can be alleviated by explaining to them how the home study process works that the adoptive parents go through. And the adoptive parents, in order to be even considered to place a baby with them, have to do what's called a home study, where we visit their home, we inspect the home to make sure it's safe and clean and, you know, if there's room for the baby. They have to be fingerprinted and the results go to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the FBI. We do um, Department of Children and Families checks on them for the past five years. So if they've come from out of state three years ago, we're going to check them in that state as well. We check sex offender registries. They have to sign a form saying that they, if they have firearms, they're kept somewhere safe. 
we talk to them about their reasons for adopting. We explain to them the importance of respecting the birth mom and in loving the birth mom. We explain to them how their child needs to know that they're adopted. We don't want the child to be surprised when they're 16, find coming across adoption papers somewhere. And we make sure that they have a good plan. We make sure they have a good plan for guardianship should something happen to them. We make sure they have a good plan for childcare, you know, that they're not gonna leave the baby with their 12 year old neighbor while they go to work. We make sure that all the pieces are in place. We get five reference letters from people who know them and have seen them with children. We check their finances. We make sure we have employment verification, two years of tax returns, a budget, so that we know that they can afford to raise a child because we all know how expensive raising children is. And we they're like thoroughly vetted and checked out. There's not a family I work with that I would not trust to spend time with my own children. Wow, that's a really powerful statement. Yeah, I think that that really helps kind of see the process. I could see how that would really ease a lot of anxieties that uh, individuals may have. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a very thorough process, but it makes sense because you want to be sure that this is a stable environment that you're placing the child in. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit and kind of going back to, you know, the little intro that I had. Um, I wanted to know if you ever have worked with a mother who may have become pregnant or who became pregnant, I should say. Um, have you ever worked with a mother who became pregnant as a result of sexual violence? And if so, could you share a little bit about that experience? Yes, actually, when I was prepping for the podcast, I have one woman where it was very clear cut. It was her father's baby. And she was basically held prisoner in her home, could only go to school was not allowed to socialize, to go outside, to do anything but take care of the home and go to school. And in that case, it was really obviously clear cut sexual violence. But thinking back, I had another um, client who had um, limited mental capacity and her family, her siblings actually brought her in to talk about adoption because she was pregnant. And she knew, she knew enough to know she didn't wanna raise a baby. And the family was very supportive of her. And when I thought about it, this woman did not have the capacity to consent to having sex. So, I mean, it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't like clear cut, like someone points a gun at you and rapes you or somebody like who's known to you holds you down and rapes you. But she honestly did not have the capacity to consent. Wow. And, and what was, how did those stories like end? And then did you work with those survivors a little differently than you would with other birth moms? How did you make sure that you were kind of keeping it trauma focused when working with them? And why is it important that we come from a trauma informed lens? You know, the, the individuals that you're working with, they've already been through so much, right? They've been through probably the worst experiences of their life and you're sitting in a room with them and at some point in the therapy process you know it does come up like what happened and the aftermath the effects the feelings um the traumatic uh 
you know, their PTSD is absolutely real. And we see that a lot, a lot of PTSD, uh, a lot of anxiety. Um, so for trauma focus, you know, we really want to, you know, help our clients get through that, but not just get through it, heal from it. So, you know, if we don't kind of start from the beginning and think of it as a long-term trauma-focused treatment plan, um, then we're not really helping them for the rest of their life. So we have to, we have to plan to do the work that we do so that way they can go, go back into society and function as, you know, adults or even adolescents and, you know, kind of just get their life back. We want to empower them. We want them to have work and go to school and have families and get married and, you know, have the life that they probably imagined that they would have at one point. So unfortunately, it's hard because you do have to, you do have to address the trauma, right, with trauma focus, but, you know, the end result is, is healing, and it can be very powerful for them um, in, the, in the long term. And that's what we want. So it's worth it. Absolutely, Allie. And Margo, did you have something you wanted to jump in on? Yes. There, there's also some practical things we can do, like making, like if a mom is worried that her attacker had, knows she's pregnant and might show up at the hospital, we can have her admitted under an assumed name. And we can make sure um, to limit visitors. We can make sure that she has a female physician or an if for some reason, you know, a male might have to substitute or there might be a male nurse coming on, we can prepare her for that. And I know um, if it's a police case, if it's a sexual assault with a police involvement, we can make sure that if they're going to need to do a DNA test, we can request that they wait to get the consent for the DNA from the baby until birth mom has signed her consents. And at that time, the baby is legally considered our ward. So we can sign so mom doesn't get traumatized all over again, having to sign to have her baby DNA tested. So there's things like that we can do from a practical aspect as well to protect the mom and make the trauma for her as minimal as possible. I was going to say the last thing we want to ever do is re-traumatize the mom. Yeah. And I, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that too. Um, with those survivors that you worked with, Margo, I feel like um, the birth itself can be rather triggering. Did you find that that was like a triggering time for them? And then if so, uh, what, what were some things that you were able to do to help um, them through that triggering moment? Honestly, I think birth is triggering for all our birth moms, not just the survivors, because up until that point, the baby's just sort of a concept, you know, you feel the baby growing in you, but until the baby's physically out of your body, you don't need to address the fact that you're placing this baby and that the baby's going to be going home with another family and you're going to be going home without the baby. So we try to be extra supportive during the birth we a lot of times are actually at the birth in um, this case, in these cases that I talked about in the one where the woman lacked the mental capacity to have consented to have sex. Her family was with her during the birth and we were able to just support her afterwards. The other one, um, I was there for part of the birth and then her aunt took over from me. 
but we just, you know, we just show them, honestly, we do what comes from our heart and show them the love and support that they need during that time that all birth moms, but particularly survivors need during that time. And our team is all very clinically trained. You know, all our people have our master's levels clinicians. So they're very aware of trauma. And um, all our staff has to do 20 hours a year of continuing education. So I always encourage that some of that be trauma focused. Definitely. I really appreciate you kind of sharing that. And you mentioned earlier that there's like some practical things that you can do to make sure to protect the survivors if there's abuse involved and things like that from the biological parent. Um, but going off of that, what rights do survivors of abuse or sexual violence who our mothers have uh, when it comes to deciding their options? They can choose not to name who the father is if they're in fear. You know, if they're afraid he's going to retaliate or he's going to do something to them, or if he's already, you know, obviously he's already victimized them, they can choose to not name a father. The other thing they can do is if they want to name the father, then if there is any kind of police report that he has abused her in any way whatsoever, not just sexual victimization, but if he has been physically violent with her, if he has, you know, locked her out of the house, if he's done other things to abuse her, then we can terminate his rights without his consent with a police report that documents that. Definitely. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I think sometimes maybe someone may have, and I'm going to ask um, if you've had this experience, maybe, but maybe a birth mother may come to you all for some assistance to kind of explore um, their options. But then maybe further down the line, they realize that maybe something like abortion is a better option for them. How would you support someone in that decision? I would make sure that she knows that it's her decision, it's her body, it's her right, and that we support whatever she does. It's not up to us to make her carry a baby to term. It's that's, you know, it, that's not our place. I actually had a young lady I spoke to one time who had been referred to me who was pregnant and leaning towards abortion. So I talked to her about adoption, but she had done a lot of drugs before she realized she was pregnant and was terrified that the baby would have a problem because of that. And I did my best to explain to her that generally the baby would be fine and that even if the baby wasn't fine, we do have families who are able and happy and actually choosing to adopt a child with special needs. So it would not be an issue there. But in the end, she chose to have an abortion. And I respected that, you know, that was her choice. That was her right. I didn't want her to spend nine months living in fear that she was going to have a baby that was going to have issues and suffer because of the choices she had made prior to knowing she was pregnant. And I think I, that does happen a lot where somebody doesn't realize they're pregnant and maybe they had some drinks, maybe they did some drugs because they did not, they honestly did not know they were pregnant. And if that's the case, no judgment here, you know, things happen, people make choices, life happens, just know that abortion doesn't have to be your only option. If you're afraid that um, something's going to be wrong with the baby, even if, you know, 
that on the small chance something is wrong with the baby. There are families who will love that baby and give that baby a wonderful life. I actually have um, a child of my own. My youngest has severe special needs and I could not love anybody more. And um, Allie's seen that smile that my daughter is 21 now. She has the happiest life you could ever imagine. And so yeah. I would encourage women not to think that abortion is the only choice. If that is your choice, and you've spoken to us about adoption prior to making that choice, we certainly respect you and we love you and we wish you the best. I also wanna jump in since you did bring up abortion. Obviously in the United States, every state is making their own laws. And a lot of times in the news recently, we've been seeing how, you know, for instance, Texas and soon to be other states such as Louisiana, uh, you know, Missouri, uh, just, other states are leaning towards, you know, removing women's rights to abortion. And um, for instance, in Texas, I believe that if you are six weeks pregnant, you can no longer get an abortion legally. And I wanted to throw in there that even though Forever Families is located in Central Florida, we do offer our services to other women in different states. So if you are in Texas and you do find yourself pregnant and you are, you know, six weeks pregnant and now you're like, I don't know what to do because my state will not legally allow me to have this abortion. You know, um, the adoption plan can be made here in Florida and we work, you know, with different agencies for home studies, um, adoption services all over hospitals, mental health clinicians all over the country. And, um, we're very open to helping whoever needs it, regardless of what state they're in. I appreciate that. And, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up this particular question was because of that as well. So I appreciate you all supporting mothers in the decision-making, no matter what that decision is, and also being able to let them know all their options as well. Um, if someone would like to learn more about your services, um, where can they find you? Um, and if someone wanted to help support your mission, how could they do so? If they want to find us, they can go to our website, foreverfamiliesadoptions.org, or they can email us at foreverfamilies at bellsouth.net, or they can call or text 407-977-8639. That's our office number, but it is a cell phone because sometimes women are more comfortable texting rather than talking at the beginning. So we welcome them to contact us any way they can. We are a 501c3 charity, so we can accept donations. And we also have a program with Amazon Smile. So anybody who is an Amazon shopper, as I would assume most of us are, who they can you can go to smile.amazon.com and select our legal name, which is Forever Families Home Study Agency in Winter Park, Florida as their charity. And every time they make a purchase, we will get a percentage of that purchase without any money coming out of their pockets. And we would like to ask that people do that and spread that word around. So anybody shopping on Amazon without a designated charity would consider choosing us. We use any money that we get 
to work with birth moms who might not have committed to making a plan so we can provide them with a hotel room for a couple nights or a meal and without having to match them with a family first and then have them change their mind about placing and the family be disappointed. I hear from a lot of young ladies on the fence and I'd rather make sure that 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 unborn baby and that mom do not go hungry even if it's coming out of our budget than potentially disappoint a family or turn them down. And um, one thing I also wanted to add about placing after birth is I would imagine if you get pregnant through um, an assault, you might go through the pregnancy thinking, well, I can handle this. You know, it's not the baby's fault. I can do this. But then once you see the baby and the baby's a living reminder of what happened to you, you can always call us from the hospital and we can find a family immediately for you to place the baby or, you know, take the baby home and then realize that it's just too painful for you. Call us. We will find you a family. You're not alone. You don't have to be um, stuck with the decision to parent if that turns out not to be what's best for your own mental health. I love that. I think that's a wonderful place to sign off. But before I do, um, any final words that you'd like to share to mothers out there or survivors? Um, I will just say to mothers out there who are listening, like Margot said, you know, you are not alone. And I do encourage, you know, regardless of age, race, religion, location, reach out to us if you need help, if you need you know, support if you need just a conversation about what you're going through. We are absolutely willing to talk to you and help you and work with you. And um, I just, you know, I hope that anybody who comes and finds us, um, I just want them to know that we really do care. And I, I think that's hard to find people these days that really do care, but they should know. You don't know us, but if you get to know us, you will realize we care. Absolutely. And I would like to say to survivors, whether or not they become pregnant, just to please always remember, it's not your fault. It's, it's the victimizer's fault, not yours. And I hope you will seek out an organization like Emily's to help and support you. And just know you're not you're not alone, whether you're pregnant or not. We truly honestly care about you. Like Ali said, you don't know us personally to know that, but we really do. Forever Families was chosen on purpose because we create Forever Families. And once you become one of our birth moms, you are part of our family. We still get letters and pictures and emails and texts from women who have placed with us and I even got an email from a woman who spoke to me and then chose not to place thanking me for um, talking to her and for taking the time to like help her make her decision to parent her baby and she was writing to me a year later saying you know, I have this beautiful one-year-old and thank you so much if it wasn't for you I would not that is so powerful and beautiful. So thank you both so much. And thank you for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma. 
in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you so, so much, Allie and Margo, for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us.